there is a fine line between singing and showing off. <laughs> if you can sing like that, who needs a piano, right? My word, my word. God dumped all the singing talent that way. I want you to pray for a meeting that we're going to be having. And I haven't had a lot of chance. I've sort of let the guys get through ODAX this week before we get in deep, deep with it. But we'll be hosting the Atlantic Independent Baptist Fellowship on May the 14th. It's always the second Tuesday of the month. And no criticisms at all meant, but a lot of, a lot of the churches that host will just simply choose two men to preach. And uh, always good services. I always come away encouraged and, and challenged from them. I get tickled. Some of them are unusual. Be finding your place in Micah while I tell you this. But uh, one of the pastors, <clears throat> Brother McAvoy over at Hanover Baptist, he's had some interesting things happen when he hosts the meeting. And uh, one, one time he hosted the meeting and somebody called, I don't know if it was somebody who knew them or what, but somebody called 911. And 911 showed up, the police, the fire, the rescue, everybody showed up, and they had to evacuate the building out. Uh, I can't remember if it was a bomb threat or what it was. So that was very interesting. Um, one year, we showed up, and that morning, all of the heat went out in the whole building. And the auditorium was about, uh, I think it was about 45 degrees on that January morning. He said, I'm not going to host another January meeting ever again. It's too cold. So that was an interesting in between those two, he, he chose a fellow to preach, and it, we, we never tell them what they necessarily have to preach on, but he chose a fellow to preach, and Dan and the church had planned a wonderful uh, ham and barbecue meal, and the preacher asked him, he said, is it okay with you if I use an object lesson? And he said, well, yes, if that's what God leads you to do, you can use an object lesson, and he came in on the Monday night beforehand, and he set up his object lesson there on the platform, and he had a table here, and Dan said, when I came in, he had had it all set up, and uh, there was a, a tablecloth over top of the object lesson. He said, I was very excited about seeing what this object lesson was going to be, and uh, he said, I had written every pastor in the fellowship, and I'm inviting, he said, we've got a guy that is tied in somehow with Smithfield Hams and said, you wouldn't believe what he does with ham. He said, we were so excited about the ham and the barbecue. And he said, this guy got up to preach his object lesson and pulled the cover off of the object lesson for the sermon, and it was a juicer. And his whole sermon was why meat is wrong and why you should live off of juicing. So last month I went to the meeting there and Dan met me on the porch and I said, Brother Mack, well, he said, man, thanks, Don, for coming over. I appreciate you being at our meeting. I said, out of all the meetings all year long, I don't want to miss the one here at Hanover because you never know what's going to happen. And he said, well, that's, that's for sure. But we have the meeting on May the 14th. And I always try to sort of theme the meetings that we have. Uh, we had, uh, the last time we hosted the meeting, we had uh, a couple's theme with it. And many of the pastors that came brought their wives with them. And our folks did a great job serving the meal, entertaining the folks while they were here. This year, I began to think uh, about October, November, what we would do. And this year, we're going to theme that meeting after, the, and just call it this, the next generation. Uh, 
the next generation. And uh, we're going to have some of our, our school choir that sang uh, here the other day, uh, last week. We're going to uh, bring them in, surprise. And they'll uh, look at me like, uh-huh. And we're going to have some of them coming up to play and different things like that. And instead of having two preachers, we're going to have three. And each of them uh, is in a different place in their life. The first is going to be a second-generation preacher. He and his dad were, were both preachers. The, the next one, the second preacher, is going to be a third-generation preacher. His grandfather, his father, and uh, himself now. And then the fourth, or the third uh, speaker uh, is going to be a fourth-generation speaker. And all of them trying to help us. And let, I want them to see the need before they live here, leave this place to reach the next generation with the gospel of Christ. And I want you to pray for that meeting in advance, if you would. In the book of Micah, chapter 6, we're going to pick up with some of the thoughts that we had this morning, a touch of review into some of them, but not much. And I want us to look at how we can enhance this walk. And by the way, Danny and Sarah came in holding hands again tonight. But Micah, chapter 6, and verse number 8, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, And what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Now, sort of a text question here, what does it mean for us to walk with God? Two parts in the message tonight. What does it mean to walk with God? I I talked this morning, mainly our message this morning, about the privilege of walking with God. And what we can expect with that. Tonight, would you take note of these things? What does it mean to walk with God? Number one, walking with God means that we have to walk in His direction. It's awfully hard to walk with people who are walking in opposite directions. God clearly marks His direction for us. First John chapter 2, and verse number 6 says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also uh, to walk even as he walked. And God, through Jesus, has illustrated how we should walk with God. So we find, first of all, that walking with God means that we have to be going in his direction. And he gives that clear direction. And understand it or not, God's way is his direction. His way is always the best way. The book of Psalm, and one, one of my favorite out of all of the Psalms, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. It means if we're going to walk with God first, we have to be walking in his direction. Number two, walking with God means to proceed, and we touched on this this morning, to proceed at God's pace. And God's pace is not to be confused with God's purpose. His pace isn't to be confused with His purpose. That's a a meaningful thought if we would stop for a moment and let that sink into our soul, what it is saying. It's not an original thing to me, but it has great truth to it. God's pace is not to be confused with His purpose. Now, what is God's purpose? God And the things that he does, his his purpose is deliberate. His purposes are determined. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 11. Yea, I have spoken it. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. 
What God does, he does with intention. No accidents with it. And so first we find that God's purpose is deliberate, uh, deliberate and also walking at God's pace. Uh, the, uh, God's pace varies at different times for different reasons. Sometimes it's faster than others. Sometimes it's slower than others. Sometimes it's stop. Sometimes it's wait. Sometimes, okay, now it's time to move, and now it's time to move quickly. All of these things show us or point us to God's purpose. Number three, walking with God means that we make progress. Walking with God means we make progress. Now, let me ask you something. Before you walk, what do you have to do? Stand. Before you stand, you have to what? Now hit this one. Crawl. Before you crawl, what has to happen? You have to be born. I'll shorten it for you. Before you can walk, you've got to stand. Before you stand, you've got to crawl. Before you crawl, you've got to be born. Walking with God is always making progress, and the progress starts at salvation. You remember what the scripture said? Ye must be born again. In our walk with God, there will never be any progress until we're first of all born. But it's not enough just to be born. When we walk with God, it means to make progress. After our salvation, the progress brings us to the place of sanctification. There are successive steps. It's interesting. It's fun sometimes to stand back and be an observer. I watch after our services are over in the auditorium. And I watch there's some little children that have been here most of their lives. And when they first became introduced into this auditorium, they were in mom or dad's arm. And then they were set down on the floor and they crawled under the pews. Before long, they start toddling and there'll be two people Mom in the back or dad in the back and mom in the front. There'll be a separation there. Mom or dad leans over and there'll be a few steps. And we've watched some of them grow from the time that they were just infants now to where they're all over the place. They can go about where they want to go. That is progressive steps. You never want those to stop. And the, the purpose of God is not just our salvation. His purpose for us is sanctification. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42 and verse 46. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. There is in the meaning of walking with God. Walking with God means that we are making steps of progress. I said it this morning. I hope you don't get tired. I hope you don't say, oh, this is repetitive. Repetitive, there's nothing wrong with it because it's the way that it teaches you. Uh, you. You learned that to all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onion on a sesame seed bun. You learned all of that because you heard the advertisement one time in your life. No, you didn't. You heard it over and over and over, and that advertisement hasn't been on TV in 40 years. And it's still stuck in my brain. I say this and not to be a repetitive way. But if you are spiritually where you were in 2018 and no different, there's something wrong. I pulled in the parking lot this afternoon coming back into church. 
And Trey Hampton was driving the car. And I immediately stopped and gave him plenty of room. I remember when Trey first came here. I would never have given him the keys to a car. But we're watching him grow. We're watching him grow up. If there was something that stopped that process, we would be heartbroken for him. If there was something that stopped his progress when he was 10 years old and he mentally never changed from the time he was 10, can I tell you this? There's something wrong. And why would we think about our spiritual lives and our walk with God any different? If we don't grow from the time that we're babies in Christ, if we're not making progress, if we're not moving from salvation to sanctification, something's wrong. So walking with God means to make progress. The next one is this, walking with God means sharing intimacy. And God intimately reacts and interreacts with us. And here's the interesting thing. God initiates it. You don't believe that? Well, the Word of God says He does. I want you to turn. Let's look at several verses tonight. I'll have you turn to one of them. Turn, if you would, to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 11. Because of love, God seeks those with whom He can be intimate with, that He can talk with. Ezekiel, chapter number 11. You come to verse number 19. These are promises to those who are walking with God. And I will give them one heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh. And will give them a heart of flesh. Verse 20. That they may walk in my statutes. And keep my ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I encourage you in your Bible to mark the I wills in those two verses. Those are God's promises to us. You say, but preacher, how does God initiate the conversation, the love, the relationship? How does he? The book of 1 John chapter 4, verse number 19, it says... He first loved us. If we go to 1 John chapter 4, we back up to verse number 10. Not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. I've told you so many times, love is the great motivator. What did the motivation of love as a motivator, what did it do with God? God first loved us, and the scripture goes on to say, and sent his son. God initiates this walk. But I want you to notice this as well. God intimately interacts and then God allows his children to share their life with him. Here's an interesting thought tonight. We are walking with God. We looked at that this morning and God is walking with us. Let's say that again. We are walking with God but God is walking with us. Now let's come to the next. Walking with God means to arrive 
at a destination. And we talked about our end destination this morning. But what is the end destination that God wants us at in this life? The potential in this life. In Ephesians chapter 2, we looked at this in our Wednesday evening covering of the book of Ephesians. Verse 10 of Ephesians 2. For we are His, somebody tell me what? Workmanship. Created unto Christ Jesus in what? Good works. Now we, we have talked down good works. Because so many people have talked about works salvation. Now let me, let me, let me. This isn't thought tonight. This is supposition. Okay? Maybe I ought to come off the platform for this. Suppose. Salvation were by works. And that's the only way. How would that change your life? Okay? Suppose the only way you could be saved was through your works. What would you be doing tonight that you didn't do yesterday? What works, what good works would you involve yourself in if your salvation required it? But notice again what this says. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that, here's the purpose, we should walk in them. So works are extremely important, not for our salvation, but for our growth, for the intimacy with God. Now listen, if tonight the supposition were true and we had to work for our salvation, I would dare say there's a lot of us that we've got to get busy. We've got grounds to make up. We haven't arrived. We haven't gotten there. But that's not true. That's not Bible. Because the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness, lest any man should boast. But works are extremely important because we are his workmanship. We've talked a little bit about ODAX today. And young people have worked and prepared and done all these different things. Next Wednesday, next Sunday night, back here, we're going to try to have those that are placed in the state uh, we can't have everything from elementary all the way up. If those that placed in the state competition that was here, uh, we're going to have their projects out here and their pictures out here. And, and Drew is going to speak for us and teach us next, next Sunday evening. And I know Dana and Brian. And I know what their heart's going to do when he's teaching. Because in essence, Drew is... Their workmanship. I told you Wednesday, God takes pride in us. Now notice what the verse, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? Unto good works. And so we arrive at this destination. God causes us, yes, to reach that final destination we talked about this morning, but until we're there, he has a purpose here. And the good works are important here. That men may see your good works. 
and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, I, want us to, I told you it would be two-part tonight. I want us to change gear. I want us to go back to the book of Genesis, be around chapter 3 and 4. I'm going to read two verses from chapter 3, and then we're going to change characters, and we're going into chapter 4. And there's four things that I want you to take down, and we'll be finished for today. But since the Garden of Eden, God has desired to walk with us, and it should have been our desire to walk with him. We're going to look at in the next few minutes the fact that Cain knew a little bit about what it was to walk with God. We're going to look at the outcome of that. We'd ask the question, does the beginning relate to us today? And I believe that it does. Does God still desire us? And I think he still desires to walk with us. Now our text verse in Genesis 3 was found in verse 8 this morning somewhat. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Remember what they did when they heard him. Now, in chapter 4, bring yourself to verse number 6, if you would, please. Genesis 4 and verse number 6, we come down. We've skipped a few things that I think you already are aware of. And now uh, we're going to look at some response from Cain. But unto Cain and to his offering, he, God, had not respect. God did not respect the offering of Cain. God didn't accept the offering of Cain. Now I want you to notice what happened. And Cain was very wroth. And his countenance fell. But I want you to notice what now happens. He makes an offering that didn't satisfy God because he had gone against what God had said. But notice God is speaking to him. The Lord is speaking directly to him, meaning that Cain has had a time, he's known a time when he's walking with God. And even though God did not respect his offering, God still carried on conversation. And Cain was very wroth, his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? And then God reasoned somewhat with it. Verse number seven. If thou doest well, Shalt thou not be accepted? Cain, if you just do what's right. If you just follow the directions. If you just walk with me. But notice the next phrase. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Has Cain killed his brother yet? No. Cain is a sinner, yes, through his parents. Cain has not yet killed his brother, but I want you to look at the contempt here. It says that he's wroth and his countenance fell. And God saw it, and God speaks to him. And then in this verse, if you would just do right, if thou doest well, 
Thou wouldest not thou be, if you just do what was right, wouldn't, wouldn't I respect it? But if you do what's wrong, sin lieth at the door. You know what God is saying to Cain? Very much revised. Cain, be careful. Sin lieth at the door. You're not going to like what happens. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Verse number 8. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord God said unto Cain, God's still talking to him. God is still trying to walk with Cain. He's in conversation. He's now killed his brother. He shed his blood. Yet God is still speaking to him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? He lies to God. He knew exactly where Abel was and he knew what had happened. And he said, God speaking, what hast thou done? I've already warned you, I've already talked to you about doing well and not doing well. What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Man first walked with God physically and spiritually. We saw that in Genesis 3, 8 there in the garden. And Adam and Eve were so accustomed to God walking in the garden that they knew his voice. But I want you to look at this. Let's look how Cain's choices played out in his heart, played out in his actions. And here God gives us some insight into our walk with him. In verse 6 and verse 7 where God is talking to Cain, God knew what was in Cain's heart. And God is cautioning him in verse 7. Let's look down a little further at the result of that. We find the result of the sin. In verse number 9, God asked Cain where Abel is after he's killed him. And Cain lies and he shows contempt against God. And he makes that little smart phrase, am I my brother's keeper? Now Cain is a second generation. We're looking at second generation sin. I want you to remember this. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they were ashamed. And what did they do? They hid themselves. Now I want you to look at what Cain did. Abel, to our knowledge, is the first death. How would Cain have known to hide his sin? But he dug a hole and he put his brother in the ground. He's hiding his actions from God. Now, sin has ruined Cain's concept of what is right and what is wrong. And justice has become twisted in Cain's reality. The scripture that we read says nothing about Cain's repentance. Doesn't say anything about his repentance. But you know what it does say? It tells us of Cain's attitude when in verse number 11... God describes what has happened and he says that the earth has opened up 
And that's where Abel is. In verse number 12, judgment is put upon him. God says you'll be a fugitive and you'll be a vagabond. Now what is Cain's response to that? We find it in verse 13. Cain never said, I'm guilty, have mercy on me. I'm guilty, I'm sorry. There's never any repentance, but verse 13 he says this. My punishment is greater than I can bear. God, you're not just in what you're doing. This punishment is too harsh. He goes on to say that everyone will slay him. And then God has cursed Cain for what he's done. And then he puts, he puts protection around Cain and said that anyone that would slay Cain would be cursed. He is a marked individual here. Cain had lost the sense of right and wrong. And he became self-centered. So we need to learn how to walk with God. Let me give you a, a few scripture references, read them to you, and then I'll quickly give you four things about enhancing our walk. Isaiah 2, 3, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk his paths. What is walking with God? It's walking in the direction in which he goes. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 5, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Ezekiel 11 and 20, that we may walk in his statutes and keep my ordinance and do them. Ezekiel 20 and verse number 19, I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? There's a caution put there. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Galatians 5 and verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and ye will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now here they are. I'm going to give us four things in this walk that will enhance our walk. We have to acknowledge these things about our walk with God. Number one, it must be personal. It must be personal. We walk with Him. He walks with us. God knows us. God loves us. God wishes to hear from us. God enjoys our fellowship. We should talk with him. But we should also listen. You ever been involved in a conversation with someone who's all talking to listen? God desires for us to communicate with him. And prayer is not simply you talking to God and you doing all the talking. God desires for us to talk to him but God also desires for us to listen to Him and to be aware of this, that He is observing us at all times. To enhance our walk, it must be personal. Number two, it must be purposeful. There has to be some plan. Anything good that happens is planned. Have you ever spilled paint? Have you ever spilled a Mona Lisa? No, I've spilled a lot of paint. And quite truthfully, nothing good ever came from it. When the artist put his brush to canvas and he paints a portrait such as Mona Lisa, it has to have purpose. 
And I have found that most good things that happen, happen on purpose, on choice. And our walk with God has to have purpose. I was reading, and let me, let me ask you this, if we're going to be talking about the purpose of God and knowing his purpose for us, where are we going to find those things? We're going to find those things in his word. How much are we into God's word? I was reading behind Pastor Chapel at uh, Lancaster Baptist in California. And he reads through the Old Testament every three months. And he reads through the New Testament, I think it's every two, two months. So long story short, he reads the Old Testament four times every year and the New Testament six times every year. And he said, that's just what I've chosen to do. He said, with this plan, I have figured out I have to read 13 pages of the Bible every day for me to get in what I desire to get in. You know, most of us feel like we have accomplished something if we read God's Word one time through in a year. Uh, further down in, in his teaching, he said this, I have found this, that my walk with God will only be as strong as I purpose it to be. And he said, so this is the pattern that I've chosen. Our prayer life should have patterns to it. I, was, I watched something the other night. I hadn't seen this before. I remember it happening. Of course, if you don't realize that March Madness is in full swing, you have your head under a very big rock right now. Basketball is everywhere. I could ask most people if you know, knew who won the NCAA championship in 1983. Dan Hoffman can probably answer it. But in 1983, a team out of Houston was thought to be on the quick road to the national championship with players like Clyde Drexler and Akeem Olajuwon. And all year long, they were talking about how this team was going to win. But there was another school in North Carolina, North Carolina State, who didn't have any of the huge names. But they, they had a team. I watched a program the other night on their team, and I found it fascinating what they said. Our coach had a playbook. And he insisted that we know the plays before we ever hit the court. The story behind North Carolina State winning the championship that year is incredible. They were five more than that, but five that became known players with a purpose. They won the ACC championship. That was the year they played UVA. Ralph Sampson was the big player at the time. And how elated they were when they beat him and they thought, we're finished. We don't have to see him again this year. And then going through the tournament, they faced off again. And how down they were when they found out that they would be playing the last game against Houston 
And knowing all the press and the hype that was with Houston, and their coach calmed them with this when he said, we have a purpose. And because we have a purpose, we have patterned. If we're going to walk successfully with God, it has to be on purpose, and it has to be personal. Number three, it has to be priority. If it's done on purpose, it has to have priority. In my opinion, the way that you determine how, how important something is, is to look at what it would take you to miss that. I used to, I used to subscribe to the Richmond Times-Dispatch. And then I figured this out. It wasn't a priority. And there were days that it came in the front door and went straight to the trash can. It laid on a counter. It was never opened up. Sonia would pull the coupons out. That was about the extent of it. It wasn't a priority. This time of year, I get the itch to have a garden. In heaven, I want to have a mansion, but I want to have a garden. I've got, they have since passed away and someone else has moved into the house, but I had some neighbors up the road that for all these years have had the most beautiful garden. And I have been so jealous of them. But when I come to work of the morning, the old guy, and I'm sure he was 80 years old. The old guy was out there with antique tools. And every morning, he was there in his bibbed overalls and his hat, old straw hat, hoeing out the garden. You know what I've been researching? How to have a garden without tilling it. And I found an article on it. And somebody said you take eight inches of straw and you lay your potatoes on the ground and you cover them with eight inches of straw. And in the fall, you pull the straw back and there'll be 36 bushels of potatoes. I don't know what I'd do with 36 bushels. We'd have a church potato fry. What am I saying? I'm looking for the easy way. I, I have, there's a fellow up the road that has attachment that goes on the back of his tractor, and he's come down a few times, and he can plow my yard in just 30 minutes. <laughs> One time he got the wrong yard. <laughs> He had told me, he said, I'll be there in 20 minutes to plow your garden. I said, okay, I'm waiting on you. About two hours later, I called his wife on the phone. I said, he told me he'd be here in a half hour. She said, he's already plowed your garden and gone home. I said, he didn't plow my garden. So he, he came down. He said, is this your house? I said, yeah. He said, uh, I'm in trouble. I said, why? He said, I plowed the backyard of that house over there. And they didn't want a garden. In fact, they had spent quite a bit on grass. And so that year, he spent quite a bit on grass, too. But he'd plow that thing up, and 
I'd plant things out there, but let me, I, I'm telling you all this to say this. Suddenly I found I had the desire to have a beautiful garden and a lot of fruit, but it wasn't a priority. Oh, I'll let that go today. I'll, I'll catch up with it tomorrow. Whew, it's hot today. I'll get up early in the morning. Then I go out there and think, man, these weeds are high. It's no use. And then I run over it with a lawnmower. Because it's not a priority. The problem with us oftentimes is that our walk with God is not our priority. It's not our purpose. And it's not personal. Number four, it will be profitable. It will be profitable. Reading back at that text verse that we opened with in the book of Micah. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. It'll be profitable. Because when we get to the place that we should be in our walk with God, and it is the priority, we understand where the next step is leading. I hear people say so many times, I just don't understand. I don't know what God's will is. Usually when someone tells me, I don't know what God's will for life is, reveals to me this. They're not walking with God in a personal way right now. You say, that's strong, preacher. Yeah, it is strong, but understand this. God doesn't want his will for you to be some big mystery. He doesn't hide it. It's not a secret thing. He doesn't want us to guess what it is and run over there. It's not like a, an egg hunt at Easter. It's not like you're having to... Un God wants us to know His way. And we will know His way when we walk with Him. Because when we're walking with Him, His way is clear. His path is clear. And we're walking in His direction. And so we know where to go from there. That's... Our walk with God. I pray tonight that God helps us from this day. From all that's been said and done from his word. That he would help us this week. To set some purpose and priority. In our personal walk with the Lord. Let's pray together please. Father thank you now for our Bibles. Your word. Lord would you help us this week. to.